Welcome to this week's Parsha Shefa, Parshas Shemini. And uh, it's been a, an eventful day here in Beverly Hills. We had harvested snow in Utah for our mikveh. And uh, you know, it's not so easy to fill a mikveh with rainwater, with fresh megashomim in Beverly Hills in Southern California. So we harvested snow in Eden, Utah, and uh, in order to fill the mikveh. And it's Vayehi Bayoim Hashmini. So we are ready to for the Chanukah Sabayis of our of our little Mishkan of our mikveh. And uh, I know it says in the parsha Bayoim Hashmini, but for us it's Shnas uh, Hashmini because we first started planning this mikveh about eight years ago uh, when I began as the rabbi here in Beverly Hills. And it's a very, very auspicious and special moment. I'll be writing about it this week. And you can read my uh, article in Dispatches in the various uh, different places or listen to the podcast, which I will uh, uh, be uh, putting online later, later on this week, about my exploits and discovering all the different halochas relating to filling a mikveh with snow. It's not a simple matter. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's not something that one regularly does. I I doubt I'll ever do it again, but it has been a singular experience, and I want to share it with as many people as possible. We're going to focus on Parsha Shmini. That's the Parsha this week, and uh, appropriately, I think. And we're going to begin, we're looking at Mikdash Halevi, my grandfather's Sefer, wonderful Divrei Torah this week on Shmini, and we'll begin with the first posuk. It was on the eighth day after the seven Yemei Miluim, the seven days that uh, they were to prepare, as it were, for the uh, for the inauguration of the Mishkan. They had a whole full week of practice, a practice run. The Yemei Miluim. On the eighth day, Moshe Rabbeinu called Aaron his brother. Aaron's children, and he called the Zikne Yisrael, the elders, the leaders of the Jewish people. Says Rashi, It was the eighth day after the seven days of Miluim. It was Rosh Nisan. This all began on Chof Gimel Adar. And on Rosh Chodesh Nisan was the eighth day. That's when the uh, Mishkan was inaugurated. Shehukam HaMishkan Boi On that day, they put the Mishkan up. V'notal Yud Atorois HaShenuyois Beseda Olam. This was the most impressive, most important, most wonderful day that had ever occurred in the history of, of humanity in terms of the fact that God was going to reside in the midst of the Jewish people, in the midst of humanity. We as the chosen people, the Jewish people, the ones who have been asked to create this space so that God can reside in the physical um, creation uh, that he put here for us to live in. And we have this kind of weird halfway house situation where we're both a neshama, a soul, and we are physical, we are material. So we're not different than animals in our physical way, because uh, we are mammals. And the, at the same time, we have a neshama. So we have this, um, this kind of tension between the spiritual side of our being and the physical side of our being. And the mishkan 
is a culmination of our spiritual attainment. If we can have a Beis Hamikdash, we can have a sanctified space. It's a temple where God can reside and where we can relate to God in the physical world. That's the most in incredible, most intense experience any human being can ever have. And we, the Jewish people, have been charged with creating that space. But it's not a space just for us, uh, as we know um, that the the Jewish people may be the hosts of the temple, and ultimately it was in Yerushalayim on Harabais. But kivesi based tefilo yikori lechol ha'amim, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It is a place for all nations to focus on in terms of its holiness, in terms of its sanctity. And this all happened by Yom Hashmini, the very first day that this occurred, was the eighth day after the seven days of Miluim, says the Mikdash HaLevi. We know from Jewish tradition, what is the most important number? I'm sure you know the answer to this question. What is the most important number? in terms of Jewish tradition, in terms of what is important. How, what's the number that defines human existence? Do you know what it is? It's the number seven. That is the number, says the Mikdash HaLevi, Yeshno Mashmaus Meyuchedes. It has a unique, um, a unique sense, a unique um, definition. Kach Hushlema Briasa Oilam how do we know this? Because we know that the creation of God was completed on the seventh day. We had six days of active creation, and then there was a seventh day, as it's conveyed to us in the 31 Psukim, in the very first chapter of Bereshis. On the seventh day was Shabbos, also part of Yemei Bereshis. Seven is a very important number. It kind of completes everything. Seven. And if you're looking at the number seven, it's not just in the totality of seven, that means one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that we see that seven is important, but the seventh in and of itself is important. How do we know that? Because Shabbos is an important day. It is the most important day of the week. It's the Mekoyer Habrocha. It is the source of blessing. We are now in the midst of Shemitah. What's Shemitah? Shemitah is the Shnas HaShavias. It's the seventh year. The seventh year has a special significance. It is a holy year. And we see this throughout Jewish tradition all through the Jewish texts and every source in Judaism gives special, um, a special quality to the number seven, Ulam Khan. But when it comes here to the creation of the Mishkan, there's something different going on here in Parsha Shmini. It's called Shmini. Why? Because it's the eighth day that is somehow significant. What happened to the number seven? The number eight, who asher zocha latores miuchodois be minon. Somehow the number eight here is elevated into a special status. Surely the number seven, it should have been on the seventh day that the Mishkan, that the temple, that the sanctuary, that the tabernacle was inaugurated. But no, 
it was the number eight. It was the eighth day. Madua says the Mikdash Halevi. Why was that the case? Why was the number eight chosen as the significant number in terms of inaugurating the Mishkan? The Nir Eloimar. And perhaps we can suggest as follows. The Torah wants to remove from us a false idea. A mistaken concept. That's what it means. We might have an idea about something and that would be a mistake. What is it? Somehow we reach the summit. We, we're always aiming. You know, everybody in life is always aiming at a goal. What's the goal here? The goal here is the number seven. We get to the number seven. We've reached the peak, the pisco, the summit of where we have to reach. And that's represented by the number seven. And then we might think, you know what? We got to that goal and now we're going back to the beginning. Let's go back to square one. That's the English expression. We go back to the beginning of the board. We start again from where we started when we began the journey to number seven. That's a mistake. You know what the Torah wants to teach us? That's not the way things are. If you think that once you've reached seven, you've reached the pinnacle, you've actually achieved the, the target, you've got to the goal, that that's it, and now you can go back to the beginning, you're making a big mistake. The fact is, Shmoina doesn't start a new uh, counting. So the idea is from the number eight, that it's eight is not something new. It's not a number one of a new. It's, it's you've got further, you know, how many rungs are there in a ladder? Don't answer that question because there isn't a clear answer. I don't have the answer. But if you get to the seventh rung of the ladder, what's the next rung? Is it number one or is it number eight? It's number eight. But number eight is higher than number seven. It's not that you go back to rung number one when you reach eight. It's actually, it's the beginning of the next seven. That's the idea. Number eight begins the new count and it's an elevated one. It's not the same one as when you began the one that reached the seven that you got to. It's now a new number one. It's an eight. It's an elevated one beyond the seven that you began at the beginning when you began the count. It's an unbelievable concept. And that's what Yom Hashmini is all about. Every week after Shabbos. Matzah Shabbos, you know what? You begin a new week. And what do we call it? We call it Yom Rishayim. That's what we call it. Because we, we, otherwise, I don't know what number day we would be up to. Uh, I don't know how many days we've had since the beginning of creation. But we need to understand an important concept. After Shabbos, what do we have? We begin with Sunday, Yom Rishon. That's how you call it in Hebrew. It's Yom Rishon, day one. But in fact, this day, it's not the first day, it's not day one. 
Elo Yom Hashmini, it's the eighth day because you had a seven day period, a week that preceded it. Zehu Yom Hamavate Haschola Chadosh, you need to begin again a new level. You need to get to the new level. You need to take the energy of the Shabbos, which completed the previous seven days, the energy that you created out of that day, which is more than you were on the Sunday that began that week. And now you've got to take that. You've got to invest it. It's, you're an investor. When you're an investor, what do you do? You invest money. And you don't take all your money out, you leave the investment and you reinvest. That's what you're doing. You're taking the Shabbos, everything that you gained, all the profits that you earned from the previous seven days, you now that you're investing them in the Yom Hashmini, which is the Yom Rishon of the new Shavua, of the new week. You've taken the Shabbos that preceded it and you've invested that energy into the new week. Call Odom, every person. Whatever you are, at whatever level you are, doesn't matter where you are. You can always be more. You can always be more than you've been in the past. You don't have to stay where you are. You're not static. And certainly we hope you're not going to be sinking. You're going to be growing. You're going to be elevating. That's what it's about. What is our aspiration? Where are we heading? What is our lives about? We've got to, we got to head for the eight. We've got to be more than the total number. we got to be the new number one is eight. The, ele- the, um, um, the greater elevation the increased elevation that results from everything that you've invested in terms of your spiritual investment in the previous week, in the previous seven. That's after the summit. You reach the peak. You know, when you're going walking in the mountains, you look up. I don't know if you've ever done Have you ever done this? Have you ever been on a hike? You're walking up a mountain and you're looking up and you say, oh, I, I want to get to the top of the mountain. And you look up and you can see on the horizon, you're looking up, you can see the horizon, the top of the mountain. You walk and you walk and you walk and you're, you're verschwitzt and you're tired and you're exhausted and your legs are hurting, your hips are hurting. You get to the top of the mountain, you realize that the top that you saw back there is actually not the top at all. Because when you get to that top, you see that the mountain is high. Now, you couldn't see the summit of the mountain, the actual summit from back there. You could only see the halfway house summit, the summit that you could see from that vantage point. But when you get to the top or what you thought was the top, you suddenly realize that the peak is actually beyond. By the way, you'll get to the next peak and you'll see that there is a peak beyond that. And then there's a peak beyond that one as well. That is the idea of seven and that is the idea of Yom Hashmini. The Mishkan represented the ultimate aspiration in terms of spiritual elevation. You're never going to stay static and just go back to square one and get back to seven. No, no. We're always looking to increase, to get bigger, to get greater, and to achieve more in terms of our spiritual growth. That's Dvar Torah number one in Mikdash HaLevi. Dvar Torah number two takes that idea and moves it on to the next level. Oh, you see, you thought you reached a peak, but actually that was peak number one. Now we're going to get to peak number two with the second Dvar Torah for Parsha Shmini in the Mikdash HaLevi. Vahibayoyim says the Posuk, it was the eighth day. 
And Moshe Rabbeinu called to Aharon and his sons and to all the elders of Israel, says the Mikdash Alevi Lechoira. If you think about it, Why doesn't the Torah, as it does in so many other places, give us the date of this particular Yom Hashmini? What was the date? We said in Rashi before. It was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Amazing, isn't it, that uh, our Yom Hashmini, here that we are finishing the mikveh here in our shul, our Yom Hashmini is also Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It's an appropriate time. And Shmini, by the way, doesn't always fall, fall around in the time of year around Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So it's, uh, it's certainly a wonderful um, uh, corresponding event that we have Parsha Shmini and Yom Hashmini and the inauguration of our mikveh in this shul and Rosh Chodesh Nisan all falling at the same time. An incredibly auspicious moment. So we have Ayhiba Yom Hashmini in the Torah, but the actual date is not recorded in that posuk. And very often in the Torah, the Torah gives us very specific dates as to when something happened. The particular day of the particular month of the particular year since Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We don't have that here. We just have the only indication we have here is as to the time of when it occurred is Vayahi Bayom Hashmini. It was on the eighth day. Madua says the Mikdash Alevi. Why doesn't the Torah explain to us or tell us, inform us that this day, this Yom Hashmini, was actually the first day of the month of Nisan? Or at the very least, tell us that it was Yom Hashmini, that this was the eighth day after the previous seven days. It doesn't give an indication as to what the eighth day means. It's, it's an isolated definition. This was the eighth day. The eighth day of what? It doesn't tell us. Why doesn't it tell us exactly what the eighth day represents? Venire Loima says the Mikdash Alevi, perhaps we can offer the following as an explanation. According to that which the Medrash teaches, the Medrash says, Rabbi Yochanan said as follows, Do you know what? There are forces of evil that exist in the world. They are called Mazikin. I don't know what they are. I actually tell you, I don't want to know what they are. Mazikin are powerful spiritual forces that can cause havoc. They can cause chaos in the world. Until the Mishkan was put up, these forces had incredible power to cause chaos in the world. They were there and they were causing chaos. When the Mishkan was established, when it was put up, and the Shekhinah, God's presence, as it were, resided in the physical world for the first time in human history. These mazikim, these damaging spiritual forces that existed, they no longer existed. They no longer had the force, they no longer had the power to cause havoc and chaos in the world. And from this we can see that on the Yom Hashmini, on the eighth day when the Mishkan was created, 
Nechanech HaMishkan. It wasn't just that the Mishkan was established, that we introduced the Mishkan into the world, that this was the moment of inauguration for the sanctuary in which the Shekhinah resided. There was a, a new element of Beria in the world of creation. Something new happened in creation that hadn't happened previously. There was an actual real change. There was a difference that occurred on that Yom Hashmini that had never happened previously. Until then, there had been certain realities which had been day-to-day -day and which had happened at all times until that moment. But from then on, they never happened again. It was a new moment. There was a Bria Chadosha, a new creation. Me'aton Niram, from this we must say, from the fact that the Torah refers to this particular day when the Mishkan, when the tabernacle was put up as the Yom Hashmini, as the eighth day, he, his kavna omnom loimar of course it meant it was the eighth day in terms of the Yom HaMiluim, the seven days that preceded it that were kind of the preparatory days of the Mishkan. But that wasn't the only thing. Ulam Loirak. Shekein HaYom Hazer, this particular day. It could have said this was Yom HaShmini Limei HaMiluim, but it doesn't say that. It leaves that ambiguous. Do you know why? Because this wasn't just the eighth day after the Yemei Hamiluim, this was the eighth day of creation. There were seven days of creation at the beginning of history, and this was the eighth day. This was a follow-on day, there was a big break in between, but this was the Yom Hashmini, Yemei Briasa Oilam, she came by Yom Hazer, because on this day, out the, it, the world reached it, its ultimate perfection. It reached its ultimate status. And there was a, something new that existed in the world that hadn't existed before now. And that's what Yom HaShmini means. It's there to tell you that not only was it Yom HaShmini in terms of Yemei Miluim, and it shouldn't tell you that it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan because that's not relevant to this particular uh, point. The point is it's also Yom HaShmini to the Shiva Yemei Bria that existed at the beginning of human history, of, of world history. Val Canaan, therefore, Rakla Acha Yom only after this day, it's only after now, after this moment of Yom Hashmini, that the Torah begins to inform us about the commandments, the directives relating to ritual purity and ritual impurity. Again, relevant to the construction of our mikveh. How important it is for us to maintain a standard of ritual purity. That only comes now. This was the moment, the Yom Hashmini, not of Yemei Miluim, but of Shivas Yemei um, Habriya, of Briya Sa'ilam, to tell us about the Hilchas Tuma and Tahara. V'chein Hilchas Hamacholis Asuras, also the laws of those foods that are forbidden to us. Until then, there were no foods that were forbidden to humanity. You could eat anything you wanted. But from now on, you had to only eat the foods that were permitted, that were allowed, according to the Torah. Do you know why? Because until now, 
Teva ha'olam haya shofel yosa, because until now, the world hadn't reached its state of, as it were, perfection. It was at a lower level. It was somehow substandard. There wasn't any place, it wasn't the right moment to establish laws of Tuman Tahara and Ma'acholois Asurois. It wasn't an appropriate time to discuss what is allowed in terms of ritual purity and impurity and foods that you can eat and that you can't eat. Only after there was a Yom Hashmini, uh, only after there's an eighth day of creation, this day when the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was put up, the Mikdosh that we had from then on. It was at that moment that the world, that the universe reached its ultimate status in terms of what it could be because God's presence was in the physical universe. That stage we could suddenly discern the difference between something that's ritually pure and something that's ritually impure. It was possible to determine those differences until then it wasn't relevant because God wasn't here with us he wasn't present with humanity but once God is present there is a sense of what is pure and what is impure and also between those foods which are permitted for humanity to eat and those which aren't or that can be considered right for our consumption and wrong for our consumption. Because all of these differentiations, it's only relevant to us after we have an Olam HaMetukan, a, a totally rectified world, let's call it the perfect um, status of physical material existence at that stage you can make these differentiations between pure impure things that you can consume and things that you can't consume we're now going to continue with the third Dvatoira in Mikdash HaLevi on this week's parsha. we're going to talk about Birkas Koenim and its connection it's a very specific connection with the Posuk that describes the blessing that was given by Aharon to the Jewish people after the Mishkan was put up. And Aaron lifted up his hands to the people, and he blessed them. And he went down and he descended from doing the chatos. Chatos is the korban, is the sacrifice that is brought when a person does accidentally, commits a sin. Uh, you know, he does something that he shouldn't have done, which is commanded in the Torah, and, there, and it was a mistake, and he brings a carbon chatos as a penitence. Oila. Oila is a burnt offering where you give everything to the Beis Hamikdash. It's all burnt on the Mizbeach. There's no human involvement. The Kohanim don't eat any part of it, and nor does the person who brings it. Vashlomim. Shlomim is a voluntary offering. You don't have to bring it. You bring it because you want to be connected to Hashem and you make a promise and you say, I'd like to bring a carbon. That's going to be a carbon shlomim. But Let's discuss this bracha. What was this bracha that Aharon 
HaKoyen that Aaron the high priest gave to the Jewish people. What is it? We're talking about what we familiar are familiar with in terms of uh, Jewish tradition. It's called Birkas Koyanim, the blessing of the priests. And this is the bracha that is mentioned in Parshas Bahaloischa. It is uh, in Bamidbar Perik Vav, Yevarechacha Hashem Vishmarecha. May God bless you and guard you, keep you. Yoer Hashem Ponov Elecha Vichuneka. May God shine his face on you and may he favor you. Yisra Hashem Ponov Elecha Vyosem Lecha Shalom. May God lift his face towards you and may he give you peace. That's the priestly blessing. It's three psukim. The first posuk has three words. The second posuk has five. And the third posuk has seven. Yes, sir, al okay. But more than this. We know that that was the bracha. But the remainder of the posuk that talks about the bracha is actually, is actually relevant to the Birkas Koenim that we just read from Parshat Bamidba, Perik Vav. That's what it says. It went down from doing the Chatos and the Oila and the Shlomim, and somehow that's relevant to Birkas Koenim, a Kafishan Ivar. And we're going to explain, the Mikdash Alevi is going to explain how it's relevant. Shekein Hachatos. The Chatos, what is it? But Bo'o. It's something that results from, emanates from the fact that somebody committed a sin but in an error. It was a mistake. Now, Aaron brings this carbon chatos. What was he thinking? Do you know what he was davening for? He was davening to Hashem, please, Hashem, protect the Jewish people. Make sure that they never come into a situation where they might sin inadvertently, by mistake. He was dumbly, he was praying that no Jew should ever fall into a situation that they would sin inadvertently. It can happen. But you know what? You want to be protected from that. The Yishmar Oisam Ipnekol Avoin. And they should be protected, they should be guarded from doing any sin, even a sin that they would do by accident. And so too when a person brings a chatos. This is exactly the aspiration, this is the feeling, this is what he should be thinking when he brings the carbon chatos. He's not bringing the carbon chatos and then tomorrow morning he's going to do the same avera again by mistake. What is he thinking? He wants the, the bringing of the carbon chatos to be part of the process that will prevent this accident from ever happening again. That's exactly the point. That he, and he's asking for heavenly help in terms of this aspiration. He wants to make sure that he's never going to be in a situation where the accident can ever happen. And that's why it's perfectly fitting that the carbon chatos um, is... Uh, is, as it were, a corresponding idea or ideal in terms of the first part, the first three words of the priestly blessing of Brikas Koenim. May Hashem 
bless you and guard you. Do you know what it means? He should guard you, he to guard you from ever doing that Avera again, from committing that sin. So that's the first part of the bracha. It corresponds to the chatos in that pasuk. And the oila. What's the carbon This corresponds to the middle section of the priestly blessing. Yoir Hashem Ponov God should shine his face upon you. What was the purpose of the oila, of the carbon oila? A person would bring a carbon oila because he wants to get close to Hashem. Somehow he feels he's drifted and he's not close to God. He's not feeling that connection between him and Hashem. What should he bring to Hashem? He brings Hashem a carbon oiler which goes completely to Hashem. It's a kind of donation of himself, of, of the things that he has to Hashem. I'm giving you everything. The oiler represents everything because there's no part of it that you consume. You have no benefit, no gain from bringing a carbon oiler. How is it that a person is separated? is disconnected from Hashem, from his Creator. Do you know what separates us from Hashem? We do Averis. Now, not every Avera that we do is an Avera that was by accident you can bring a carbon chatos for. Sometimes we just fall into sinful ways. We do think that we shouldn't be doing and we're not talking necessarily about doiraisas, it can be drabonons. It can just be we've drifted away from the path that we should be on in order to be connected to Hashem. The Posuk says this Posuk is in Isaiah Yeshaya, Perik Nun Tes Posuk base. It says as follows Do you know what separates you from Hashem? Your sins. When you sin, you can say, I believe in Hashem, but somehow the source of all these mitzvahs is drifting further and further away because you're sinning. You can't be connected when you're doing the things that Hashem doesn't want you to do. The face of Hashem is hidden from us because we sin. That's what happens. That's what Yeshaya, what Isaiah is saying that you are separated from Hashem. Hashem is hidden from you as a result of your behavior, as a result of you doing the things that Hashem doesn't want you to do. Do you know what the Koenim bless us with? Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable bracha. Hashem should shine His face onto us. We shouldn't be separated. There shouldn't be this hiddenness of Hashem from us. We should see Hashem before us. He should shine His face upon us at all times. Yochain Aisanu. That's what we need from Hashem. He should forgive us and he should be close to us. That is our aspiration. And that's an unbelievable bracha that we get in Berkas Koyanim. That we have this idea of Yair Hashem Ponov Eilecha Vichuneka. What a beautiful bracha we have in this second part. And it corresponds to the second part of that posuk. 
that we have that talks about by Yevarachim that Aaron HaKoyim blessed the Jewish people, it refers to the Korban Oila which appears towards the end of the Pasuk. The final part of the Pasuk is the Korban Shlomim. Says the Mikdash Alevi Vilu HaShlomim She'en Yonam Shalemus. What is Shlomim? Shlomim Shalom. What does Shalom mean? Shalom means peace, right? That's how you translate it. But you know that the word Shalom actually comes from the word Shalem, completeness. It is total. There's nothing missing. In terms of our service of Hashem, what is it that we seek? Shlemut. We want to be complete. We want no part of us to be separated from what it means to be connected to Hashem. We want that Shalom. We want the Shlemut. And what's the word that describes this carbon? Shalamim. It's we will be fulfilled, we will be total, we will be complete as a result of bringing this carbon. It refers, it, it, is, it corresponds with the final posuk of Berkas Koenim, this third posuk of Berkas Koenim. Yisra Hashem Ponov Eilecha. Hashem should lift his face up uh, towards us, and he should place us, he should make sure that he gives us the shlemut, the shalom. That's what shalom means, the completeness that we seek. Through this posuk we are blessed that we should merit the shlemut, the completeness, the totality in terms of our relationship with Hashem. Shlemut ha'amitit. And all our aspirations should, uh, should uh, unfold for the good, for good purposes for us and for all who are with us. Let's look at one final piece. I wanted to do much more. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to uh, finish all of the pieces that I wanted to do in Parsha Shmini. But I'm going to look at one final piece which talks about Nodav and Aviyu. Two sons of Aaron Akoin. Two holy sons, two tzaddikim. Two very special people, spiritual in every possible way. And they brought what's described in the Torah as Eish Zora. Somehow, it's, a, it's an unwanted offering. It's a strange fire. That they brought to Hashem, and they were and they were struck down, and the and the Mefarshim, But it starts in Chazal. Are very puzzled by this story. How two such special, such sanctified people could possibly have made this mistake that resulted in their untimely death. And we're going to look first at a medrash that's quoted here in the Mikdash Halevi. Of a medrash, it's in Vayikra Toni Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon, here's Reb Shimon by Yochai. He says as follows: Do you know why the sons of Aaron died? Do you know what the cause was of their death? Now, of course, it says Eish Zorah in the Torah, but Reb Shimon by Yochai says there was something going on here. How come they brought the Eish Zorah? Because they were Shesuye Yayin. They had drunk wine. Rabbi Pinchas b'shem Rabbi Levi Oimer, and Rabbi Pinchas, in the name of Rabbi Levi, explains what this means. What does it mean? What was so wrong with them drinking wine? Moshul lemelech shoyal ben bayis There was a king, 
and he had somebody who was his trusted um, his most trusted second in command the person who looked after his household the master of his home the master of his palace and that person was able to do anything he wanted Motsu oimed apesach anuyes vehitov esroishoi bishsika. It's an unbelievable marshal. He saw him. He was hanging around in some shopping mall. Don't know how he came across in that way, but he executed him as a result of that. But nobody knew why. They just knew that there was this Ben Bais, the master of his household, the person who was closest to the king, and suddenly he's been executed. But he didn't say why he did it. Bishsiko, he did it quietly, without explanation. Umino ben Bais acher tachtov. So he went through the process of choosing a new ben Bais, a new person to take care of his, his household affairs. Nobody knows why he killed the first one. Elo the only way we can know, only way we could discover why he, uh, why he had killed the first one, why he had executed the first Ben Bais, was because of what he told the second one. What did he tell him? Don't go and hang around in a shopping mall. Suddenly they understood that he doesn't like it if somebody's a bit of a layabout and he hangs around with the wrong crowd, and that's why he'd executed the first guy. And as a result of this behavior, the first one had been killed. Now everything was revealed. But we only know about it as a result of the instruction that he gave to the, the person who had been executed, he gave to his replacement. From the fact that the Possuk says that a fire came out and it it consumed them. Not of an avio we can know. We don't know from that why they died. Straight away afterwards. What's the first mitzvah that the Torah records after the death of the children of Aharon? Do not drink. When you do the service of Hashem in the Mishkan, in the Beis HaMikdosh, do not drink yayin, do not drink sheikhar. Suddenly we know what had went wrong. What went wrong was not Aviv who had something to drink and they had done the kahuna, they had done the service, the avoida in the Beis HaMikdosh and that was wrong. That's what made it a zara. They had drunk something and therefore they had been consumed. And we only know that from the instruction that was given immediately afterwards. And that's what Reb Shimon is telling us, Reb Shimon is telling us that they had had a bit of a tipple, they had something to drink before they went into the Mishkan. The reason they died was because they'd had a little bit of a drink of wine. We have here an additional explanation as to why it was that the children, the sons of Aaron, Nodov and Aviyu perished in this terrible moment. They'd had a bit of a drink, they'd consumed wine, as a result of which they were sentenced to death. Now it sounds exaggerated, it sounds out of proportion and the Mikdash Alevi is going to endeavor to explain to us what's going on. Ulam Khan, Trichim Onulis Baina, we really need to understand. Nobody is going to suggest that 
that Nodav and Avihu, these two great sons of Aharon, went into the Mishkan with this Aish that they brought and that they were completely rolling drunk. There is no suggestion of that. That's not what Reb Shimon means. And it's not what Reb Pinchas B'Shem Reb Levi is talking about. That's absolutely not what is going on here. So what are we talking about? They certainly did not get drunk. And it's absolutely, it's unquestioning. We cannot even be in any doubt to the, uh, as to the idea that they were not intending going into the Mishkan in that state of mind. That's not what was going on, that's not who they were, and that's not what the Torah is trying to tell us. They drank the smallest possible amount. They had a little bit of wine and then they went into the Mishkan. Their self-respect was not diminished. Their behavior didn't change. The smallest amount of wine, if you drink it, it's not going to change your behavior. It's not going to even change your state of mind. That's what they did. They drank a very small amount of wine. They had a small lechaim, and then they went into the Mishkan. Ulam choraf kol zois moitzim onu kimase zehoya chomur beyose. Unbelievable if you think about it. That despite the fact that we know for certain that they didn't drink too much. Even whatever it is that Reb Shimon says and Reb Pinchos says, B'Shem Reb Levi, we know that it's not possible that they drank so much. Nevertheless, it was treated as the worst possible crime. The punishment was the worst possible punishment that any person can receive for anything that they've done. I mean, let's think about what happened. They were consumed by fire as a result of having a tiny lechayim. It seems completely out of proportion. Says the Mikdash Halevi. Why would that be the case? What's, what's so much worse drinking wine on such a day? What's so terrible about having a lachaim before you go into the Mishkan? What's the big deal? Why was it such a terrible thing? Why would they be punished in this very drastic and dramatic fashion? We could actually come up with another svara. It's the opposite svara. We could come up with a total explanation that is that co- completely free them of any misdeed. What could that be? The fact is, we know that Yain is something that is praised in Tehillim. It enlivens a person's heart. There's so many mitzvahs which are sanctified through drinking wine. We make Kiddush. We are absolutely... Uh, expected to drink wine. The directive is we do this mitzvah with wine. Kamoila Dugumba Kiddish. We make Kiddish. What do we make Kiddish on? Wine. Havdallah. What do we make Havdallah on? We make Havdallah on wine. 
Britsmilah. Whenever we circumcise a child of eight days old, what do we do it with? Boire prihagofen. Pidyon haben. Nisuin. When it's pidyon haben or getting married. Kama vakama. His damnuyois. Many, many occasions in the Jewish calendar. We celebrate it and we sanctify it through the consumption of wine. Why would not of an avio have been punished? What is Reb Shimon Bar Yochai saying? What is Reb Pinchas in the name of Reb Levi even suggesting that wine was such a negative thing? And even all these things that we've mentioned, Kiddush, um, Shabbos, Brismila, Yom Tov, Nisuin, all the things that we've just discussed and described. These are holy, sanctified things. You might say, oh, you mustn't do it because it says, Yain V'Sheichor. You mustn't bring Yain V'Sheichor into the Avodah Hashem. What are we talking about? Why not? How would they know that? For them, perhaps, they thought the opposite. They knew through HaKodesh that when it comes to Shabbos, you make Kiddush. Maybe they already did Kiddush on Shabbos with wine. Why would they have thought it was such a bad thing? They certainly weren't expecting to be struck down by fire. So what's going on here? Asks the Mikdash Halevi. Me'ata madua lohit imoshetias hayayin dafka liyoyim chanukas hamishkan. So we need to understand why specifically on this day of chanukas hamishkan, of establishing, inaugurating the mishkan, why was the consumption of wine such a no-no? Why was it such a no-go area? Madua mashenochus vehechrechi b'sha'as karisas bris mila. Why is it that something that's so demanded and so expected and so part and parcel of, let's say, a bris milah, why is that the very same thing, something which was totally forbidden on a day when the Mishkan was inaugurated? Why wasn't it correct to say, before going in to do the Avoida of the Mishkan, before bringing whatever it was that they brought, this Ketores, why couldn't they have a cup of wine and say, to introduce the celebration just the same way as we do it with the Brismil, or just the same way as we do it with Kiddush on Friday night. And there's something very deep going on here. There's a deep idea that we really need to understand and we need to appreciate so that we get a sense, first of all, of what Chanukah Samishkan was all about and also what the Avera was, what the sin of Nadav and Avihu was. Wine has an incredible power. It's something that's alcoholic, it's very special, it tastes lovely and it has a particular ability to bring a spiritual simcha to a heart. You feel elevated, you feel special, you feel joyful if you've had a cup of wine, a glass of wine. Until you can really reach a very special connection to Hashem, an elevated sense of a moment. Not just that you're doing something for the sake of doing it, but it elevates your senses in the spiritual department. The fact is, through the medium of drinking wine, we can get a better sense, a better appreciation of what it is that God does for us. 
and our relationship with Hashem will be improved and enhanced. Ulam kolzois matim la'avoida shebeshigra. Let's face it. It's something that improves, it's something that elevates, it's something that makes better. But let's think about what the Avoida was on that very first day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, when the Mishkan was first put up. This is the most elevated moment in human history. It's comparable, and the, and the Mephora should make this comparison, with... Ma'amad Harsinai. But Ma'amad Harsinai was one day in one particular era of Jewish history. This is the Beis HaMikdosh, which is a constant source of spiritual nourishment for the Jewish people and for humanity as a whole. It's an ongoing thing. And this is the very first day when that happened. That's what the Chanukah Samishkon was. Such a day in and of itself is special enough that you don't need to come on to and drinking wine. On this very first moment where they can do an avoida in the Beis Hashem, you can go into the Beis Hashem, it, you know, it smells fresh and new. You can still smell the paint, if you know what I mean. It's so new. And you go in and you do the very first avoida in this, in this space, and you need wine? You need to drink? Sometimes the moment itself is so elevated, you don't need an artificial crutch to get you there. You don't need anything extra. You don't need something that's going to get you to the state that you need to be in in order to appreciate the celebration and the connection that it's going to give you to Hashem. In and of itself, it's much more than a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, or a crate of wine. It's at a totally different level. It's a much higher level. This is not an ordinary, I know that no bris milo is ordinary to your child, but sometimes the stimulant of the yayin is what you need just to push you over the finish line to make, help you appreciate the spirituality of the moment. It somehow focuses your attention on the specialness of what you are experiencing. But a one-off event, like the Chanukah Samishkan, that in and of itself is special. It's It's much more special. It's much more deep. It's much more, it's, it get, should get into your spiritual kishkas that day. Much more is the simcha satayra that you're going to get. What is that? In and of itself, this simcha, this simcha satayra, the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of Torah is through the medium of the Mishkan. You don't need an artificial stimulant to get you there because you're there already. That's where you are. You know, they say that people who go to Yerushalayim, even to Eretz Yisrael, but Yerushalayim specifically, they can have, they have a sense in Yerushalayim, particularly when you get closer and closer to Harabais, 
of it being a very holy and elevated and spiritual place as even uh, there's a, something called the Jerusalem syndrome. People get so taken up by it that they begin to believe that they're holy, that they're Elijah, that they're Mashiach, that they're I don't know who, that they're Moshe Rabbeinu, that they're David HaMelech. You see such people walking around the old city of Jerusalem. The air of the place is enough to enliven you spiritually. You don't need to drink anything to get to that state. You don't need to take anything. You are there already. So why would you take Yayin? Why do you need to make a Borei Prihagofen if, if you've already reached that incredible moment? Pikudei Hashem Yeshorim Mesam That's what the Pasuk in Tehillim says. Hadvarim Amurim Bechol Yisrael Valachas Kama Vekama Sheamurim Heim Bekoyanim This idea is something that should be understood by every Jewish person, but particularly by Koyanim particularly by Nodav and Aviyu, and particularly at the moment when there was the Chanukah Samishkon. For those who are standing um, to serve in the, in the palace of the king, the very first, they're, they're the first in line to serve in the Avoidas Hashem. They should have self-elevated to the um, to the level of Simcha. That they should have not required any kind of stimulant that would enable them that would have brought them to that place. They could have done it on their own. They didn't need any help. They didn't need a Bayer Prihagofen to get them there. And the sons of Aaron, unfortunately, they failed in that. These great people who should have, it should have been self-understood, self-evident, that the Chanukah Samishkon didn't require this Bere Prihagofen. And yet they failed to understand that and they thought, oh no, it's a great day, let's drink a Lachaim and then go do the Vodas Hashem. They didn't appreciate the moment and they should have understood it more than anybody else. They should have totally got it. They should have felt the moment. They should have had that sense of what was going on and they didn't and they made the mistake. That's why they were punished so drastically and so dramatically uh, that they were that they were consumed by fire. That's why that's why they were consumed. That's why they perished in flames at that very moment when the Mishkan was inaugurated. We are lucky enough that we have so many great moments in our lives and we have so many fantastic things to be thankful for and with which we can be more connected to Hashem. We don't need to be stimulated. Sometimes, of course, we require, and it is required, to make Kiddush on Friday night. We have to do it by Priya Gofen. Maybe it's because we do Shabbos every week and we don't have a sense of the moment. We don't appreciate how special Shabbos is. Maybe we don't even appreciate how special a Brismila is. And even a Pidyon Haben, even an Isuin, that's why we are instructed to drink a, a Tiberi Priya Gofen when we get to those moments. But we should understand that we should prepare ourselves that even in those moments we shouldn't require the Bere Priyagofen, that we should appreciate how special every single minute of those moments are and how lucky we are to have these moments in our lives. We'll leave it here. Thank you so much.